This is Lisa K. Solomon, and you're listening to another episode of Radio Free Leader. Welcome to Radio Free Leader. I'm your host, David Burkus, best-selling author and recovering academic, and this is the show that tears down the wall between the ivory tower and the corner office. Each episode brings you an outstanding thinker to help you lead smarter by sharing insights from social science and practical applications for leadership, innovation, and strategy. Make sure you stay up to date with Radio Free Leader and get some great stuff we don't share on the show by joining our community. You can sign up on the show notes page for this episode at davidberkus.com slash 732-732 or text Radio Free in the U.S. to 33444. We'll even get you caught up with our Radio Free Leader Starter Kit. It's a collection of our most popular episodes sent right to your email inbox, so you can listen in just one click. Again, that's davidberkus.com slash 732, or text Radio Free, all one word, to 33444. Today, we're talking to Lisa K. Solomon. Lisa is a long-term friend of mine. She is an amazing thinker around how to design a better future. She's the founder of Innovation Studio. She works on the faculty at Singularity University. She's the author of two books. The first one, Moments of Impact, I thought was a, an amazing read about how to design strategic conversations. The new one, Design a Better Business, is really an amazing update to the work that's come out of the folks who write the business model innovation, the business model canvas, et cetera. And it is design a better business, new tools, skills, and a mindset for strategy in innovation. What I find fascinating about it is this, you know it's a book built around designers because it's not just a text read. It is a, an incredibly visual, well-designed, even if you don't like books, it's a great book for you to show you a process for designing a better business and more importantly, a mindset to take on for how to know what tweaks you need to make to your business model and how to know when you've designed the perfect business model. In fact, that was one of my favorite parts in the conversation. I even put together a cheat sheet, how to know you've designed the right business model based on some of the advice that Lisa gave us. So again, if you go to davidberkuscom slash 732, it'll take you to the show notes. You can download that cheat sheet uh, as well as a bunch of other amazing resources. So without further ado, our interview with Lisa K. Solomon. So who are you and what do you do? Who am I and what do I do? Uh, great. Well, I'm Lisa K. Solomon, and for the last 15 years, I've been working with leaders to help them design better futures. Uh, I am an educator, so I spend a lot of time working with executives, MBA students, and even K-12 students, helping them learn the practices of thinking more imaginatively about the future and what they can do to help bring those futures to life. I'm a writer. I've written a couple books on the practices of designing better futures, and I'm a practitioner. I try to bring better futures to life myself. And okay, so I have to say right off the bat, we are um, we're here on the occasion uh, to celebrate uh, launching a new idea in the form of a book out to the world. But we met long before that with a variety of other ideas, with moments of impact. And you were actually teaching at the time at the only, at least to my knowledge, MBA program that was from an art school and had a design focus. And really, uh, a lot of that relationship expanded my own thinking beyond the idea of um, design thinking as a as a process or as a way to design kind of better um, products, physical products, and turned into a way to design better experiences, design better futures, like you said, design better strategies, et cetera. Um, at some point in my in that thinking, I, I probably shouldn't say this, 
at some point in my thinking, I played around with the idea of a book blending on blending design thinking and strategy and all that kind of stuff, which kind of happens to be the book that, you know, we're celebrating this episode. (laughs) Um, so thanks for, I mean, I would have been terrible at it. I'm glad that you did it. You're far better at it, but I guess before we even talk about the book, let's start a little bit further in your, in, uh, further back in your career, how did, how did you get into this mess? I mean, how did you get into this idea of, um, taking the, the thought processes and the mentalities and the mindsets around design and expanding them out beyond what we're so used to hearing? It's a great question. And design is certainly a hot topic right now. Uh, there's a lot of people that are bringing practices of design thinking into all kinds of organizations. And it's really exciting to see. Um, my work with design started over 20 years ago. Uh, one of my first jobs out of college, I worked with an innovation firm. We didn't call it that at the time. We called it a marketing firm, working closely with consumer companies looking to expand they're offering to customers. And we came into it saying, you know, it's not about taking your current product and changing the features uh, a little bit. It's really about understanding what your customers need from you. And so I spent a lot of time sleeping out in Walmarts, watching people buy donuts, trying to understand, uh, for example, the disconnect between the market research that said, we all want to be fit and we all want to take carbohydrates out of our meal. And yet, Krispy Kreme was going gangbusters. So what helped us understand that disconnect? And I think that process of solving problems fundamentally through understanding what your customers want and need from you is a totally different approach to thinking about how we solve problems in the world. Um, Throughout my years, I got more focused on this discipline of designing new ideas that met needs that were currently not articulated or at least weren't supported by market research or data that we uh, could readily find. And um, what I've learned uh, over the time doing this work is that there's a real discipline behind this approach that takes customers into account, that is bold in coming up with a new idea that doesn't exist. It's not a reformation of an idea that's already out there, but really is an opportunity to imagine something new to the world and using an iterative process to bring that idea to life. And as you rightly said, design thinking tends to focus on new products and services. But if we think about design as a discipline for strategy and how we think about helping our organizations get more resilient, more imaginative, more innovative in the face of increasing amounts of uncertainty and change, it's a very powerful way to build, uh, I think, the ultimate strategic advantage that organizations need to stay relevant and to continue to grow in these more dynamic times. Okay, so I got to push back on you as um, the uh, we'll call it devil's worst advocate, right? Because I don't actually believe what I'm asking here, but I I want your perspective on it. So I come from um, the business school world. You taught for a time in, in an MBA program. Uh, aren't we supposed to just kind of write the business plan and forecast the future and then write a plan to to meet that future? And that's just sort of it. I mean, you're throwing out all sorts of things about iterative processes and, and all of that kind of thing. Why? Why? Especially, I mean, the, the new book, Design a Better Business, is all around how to take this into a, a business model perspective and a strategy perspective. Why can't I just rely on the simple business plan? It's a great question. Wouldn't that be nice? 
Um, listen, we all learned how to write business plans because they gave us a sense of forecasting to the future with some certainty around it. If we wrote the business plan and it had numbers to it and had fancy words, then in some ways that made us feel better that there was a strategy going forward and that perhaps we had a bit more control over the future than we actually do. Uh, and and the, the contribution that design can make to helping us feel more comfortable in the face of the reality that we can't predict the future and we don't really know how the future will unfold. Uh, I think that we can use design to get more comfortable with thinking about multiple futures um, that might unfold. And in my first book, Moments of Impact, my co-author, Chris Hurtel, and I talk about the fact that in a world of increasing complexity, ambiguity, uncertainty, and volatility, we need to treat strategy not like mechanics, not like uh, authors creating business plans, but much more like designers, where we're looking at a variety of inputs, that we're thinking about strategy not as an artifact that sits on yourself because it was published to the board and then approved, but really as a living incarnation of how we create value for our customers in an ongoing way. So um, you're right. I mean, this is really quite provocative for traditional MBA programs, which is still the largest graduate degree program out there. I think it graduates over 100,000 new minted MBAs a year. Um, and essentially, I think the the predominant meme is that we can control our future if we just know enough about uh, the four P's and organizational structures and all the things that we learned in business school. Um, my hope is that MBAs start to realize that they have to teach discovery-driven skills, visual thinking, storytelling, prototyping, as much as they teach some of the skills that support our proficiency with Excel, like discounted cash flows. Um, we're not there yet. But programs like the one I was teaching at, the design and MBA program, an MBA graduate degree that's housed in a 100-year-old arts and crafts school in San Francisco, those give me hope that the degrees are changing. I, I definitely agree that there's a, a change there. You're, I'm seeing it in a couple of places. Your, your school is one, obviously, the work that uh, that Roger Martin, a friend of ours and intellectual hero of mine, is doing. There's a couple of places where um, Darden down in the south um, of the United States, there's a couple of places where that there's that glimmer of hope. But again, I, I think you're right. I think a lot of it is we're we're so trained and rehearsed on thinking about an easy repetitive process or model, right? So a four box model, or like you said, the four P's or even, you know, this, this new book actually kind of grew out of the business model canvas idea, which was to me sort of that first baby step to get people who were so used to easy to understand models to take a little bit more iter iterative approach by using um, the ontology of a business model, but putting it up against a, can a canvas, something you could rearrange, et cetera. Um, what I actually really like about this book is that, I mean, there, there is a process involved, but it's actually not a linear one. It's one you guys call the double loop. And truthfully, beyond the double loop and the process, and I don't, I don't want to give away, people should just buy the book. It's beautiful and it's brilliant. Um, but what I really enjoy about it is that the, when you look at this double loop that you've created, it's essentially like an infinity symbol or a figure eight. And at the core of it, at the intersection of all, is, is point of view and perspective. Talk a little bit about how important that is, especially for looking into the future, understanding our current perspectives now and the diversity of perspectives and how that kind of helps us with our future planning. Yeah, it's a great question and and thank you. And I and I just want to back up and say I agree with you. I think that there are a couple of exciting movements that are happening right now that will allow 
us to codify the practice of learning some of these more creative approaches to thinking about strategy. Design thinking is one of them. Uh, the lean startup movement is another, really taking a discovery-driven approach and evidence-based to the iterative testing. And as you said, the business model uh, canvas and business model generation, really looking at mapping value in a very visual and tangible way. And those three together, I think, paved the way for our excitement to uh, for this book, Design a Better Business, and for helping leaders across all aspects of the organizations be the architect of growth using this process. And coming back to your question about at the epicenter of this process, where we talk about the importance of coming up with a point of view, um, I think that sometimes design is a little bit... Um, misunderstood where they think, you know, let a thousand flowers bloom, right? All ideas are good ideas. And I think what we're trying to articulate in this book with a a, a chapter dedicated to the importance of point of view is that you really actually need to take a stand. It needs to be an informed stand. You need to have a perspective that is shaped by your understanding of customers, by your understanding of business models, by your understanding of the competition and where technology is going and how that can help you create value in a distinct way. Um, but but we are saying that if you are stepping up to the responsibility of designing growth and 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 leading the charge of some of having those new ideas grow into be scalable, Uh, areas of opportunity for you, that you need to be clear about how that idea is creating value and in what ways you'll need to make choices to bring that value forward in a way that the organization can actually execute against. Hmm. And that that actually brings me to an interesting point and one of the other things in the the model that I wanted to talk about, because I've always felt like, at least in this um, this process of applying design, um, thinking, design mindsets, et cetera, to a business world is, you know, there's, you hinted at the Excel spreadsheet idea and it, it gets at a deeper pers- uh, problem or p- perhaps hesitation, which is, it's one thing to say things are iterative and you need to sort of have an emergent strategy approach. I mean, Henry Mintzberg did a good job of, of kind of proving that it's another to draw the line between that and, Okay, when do you put when do you lay on the gas? Like when do you know you found the model and you start to scale it? And this is where that that sort of double loop process that is outlined in the book um I won't say ends because again it's an it's an iterative process, but at least it's it's the first time I've seen, okay, let's actually answer this question of how do you know when you're done? Cuz I guess one of the hang-ups with a lot of the advocates of design thinking and design methodologies is you're always iterating, you're always iterating. And and I feel the pushback from corporate America is like, well, great, but I also need to know when it's time to scale and when we can cash in because we got to make our numbers at the end of the quarter. So how do you, in in all of this process, how do you get catch that that perspective and that idea of like, okay, now we know we've hit on something? It's such a great question, David, and it's hard. I think this is where judgment comes into play and this notion around um tradecraft, right, of getting comfortable um, looking at the evidence that is available and saying, okay, we have enough data that suggests we are doing the job that we've identified that our customers really need us to do, and now it's time to deliver against that job and see how that goes for a while, and then to come back to it to say, you know, as our customers grow and change, are we still doing the job that they need us to do? Um, And again, I want to point out, this is where I think design thinking, which really talks about needs and what user needs are, 
and some of the business model innovation work, which really focuses on Clay Christensen's model around the job to be done, I think this is a chance to really understand those concepts as it relates to this exact question that you're asking. When do we know that we're ready to go? And, um, and my feeling is the role of the design of design is to make the job that needs to get done doable, is to deliver against the functional utility of that job, and if done well, the design choices also deliver an emotional response. So that's my fundamental definition of design and great design. It delivers against the job that needs to get done in whatever way that is. So for the iPhone, it helps us connect people. It helps us get access to all kinds of of apps, um, functionality from from this computer that's now in our pocket. And uh, particularly in the early days, the emotional job it did was give us delight. We, we loved our new phones. We would sleep out for our new phones. We even saved the packaging of our new phones, not by accident, but because Apple designed it that way. So I think, you know, again, getting back to your question, really understanding the job that we need to get done, not just in terms of utility, but also in terms of emotion, when we have enough evidence that we're doing that, I think that's when we move forward with, with rolling out uh, uh, the product or idea. I love that. I really do this. And and you're right. It does. It builds off of Christensen's ideas that I, that's actually one of the underrated areas, I think, in Christensen's body of work is that, um, you know, what is the job to be done? The famous sort of milkshake story that if you're, if you're listening, I don't know that we've got time to go into um, all of that. Perhaps I'll reach out to Clay and have him tell it um, sometime <laughs> for the podcast. But, you know, we, we tend to like we focus in on the innovator's dilemma as almost an explanation for for why our company failed, not for, a, OK, well, what does that mean and how do we act, et cetera. And I, I love the. Um, I love the approach that you take on it. This idea of are we are we doing the job to be done? And uh, again, I love it on not just the utility, but on the emotion piece. Because from a um, from a marketing standpoint, especially if you're not hitting that, then no one's talking about your product. They might be doing the job, but not in a way that people are going to start becoming advocates for you. I love that. Um, I one other question. So you uh, before we get into our lightning round, one other question. So you had worked um, previously at that uh, that uh, MBA program in the design school, but now are, are working with Singular University. All of these things are sort of geared at this idea, like you said, of helping people figure out how to divine, design a better future. I guess I want to ask like the really, really super, super simple question, which is, um, I'm listening to the show. Maybe it's the first time I've listened to Radio Free Leader. Maybe it's the the hundred and whatever and many episodes time I've listened to it. How do we get started? Like, what advice do you have for somebody who's that traditional analytical mindset, went to business school, they learned how to make decisions using Excel? What activity or hack or just mindset shift? How do we get started in taking a a better, more design-oriented approach to our future, our strategy, all of it? It's a great question. Um, Lots of different entry points. Um, uh, Of course, they should get your books, of course, to help them understand about how to be, you know, more creative and learn from other companies that are starting to take a different approach uh, to innovation. Um, uh, We hope that Design a Better Business is that that on-ramp. As you mentioned, it's extremely visual. There are 20 tools that are outlined that support that process. Um, many of the tools are going to be available for Creative Commons use uh, and and available for people to download. Um, I think that you know the getting back to this, what's the job to be done of someone who's just getting started? I think it's to first go out and find some examples that excite them. To, there's so many wonderful videos online um, around design thinking and 
and some stories about how design thinking really helps you reframe how to solve problems. So certainly IDEO has many wonderful stories and they really helped kick off this revolution. Um, I think it was the 60 Minutes redesign of the shopping cart. Uh, over 15 years old, but still relevant. Oh yeah, it's good. you can see it on YouTube, but it's like really, really kind of ghetto uh, camera like totally. work, etc. Because it's old, old school, mid 90s TV. But it's such a brilliant. Um, it's I think on YouTube it's actually like multiple videos because they they had to cut it up, etc. But yeah, it's a brilliant start. It's a brilliant start, and and I would say you know so so you can and the reason why I'm saying go after those videos is because it is scary to try new process, and I believe that getting inspired yourself about why you're willing to try something new is helpful. So one of the things I think about when I put together my syllabus for my class Innovation Studio at the MBA in Design Strategy, which is their very first class in their graduate program. So I get them day one. And what I say to them is that every reading on this syllabus is for you to help understand what this process is. And it also helps you share this methodology, this practice, this investment that you're making with others. So whether it's case studies or, or Harvard Business Review articles or excerpts from book from books, we want to not only empower you with understanding how to use these new tools and methodologies and this new discipline, we also want you to have conversations with others about what this is about. And I think that's really important because this work is very inspiring and also takes a lot of courage. It's extremely hard to be bringing something new into the world that doesn't have a guaranteed success plan at the end of it. That is one of the hardest leaps of faith about incorporating any kind of design process into your organization. Oh, I would totally agree. And and I think it's a good start. And, and as we said, looking at a couple examples and Design a Better Business, the book um, is a fantastic thing if you if you don't want to play around on YouTube and find all those things. And even if you do, um, check it out because it's, again, it's a beautiful book. It's not a um, sit and flip through um, pages. It's full of beautiful images. And as you said, I actually love the idea that you're practicing what you preach, especially on scale with this idea of making a lot of the tools and imagery creative commons so that you also have something to bring back to your organization to use. It's not just for you to kind of chew on and then not know what to do with. This is a manual that you can bring back to a lot of people. So I highly encourage everyone to check out the book. Lisa, you know what's coming next. Our lightning round, our five questions we ask all guests. Are you ready? I'm ready. So question one, what's the best advice you've ever received? I love this question. Um, I have a couple quick things. I know it's lightning round. Um, the first is find the smartest people uh, that you want to work with and learn from. So this was something, my mother was a chief learning officer for 25 years. She always um, highlighted the importance of learning and being curious and so my whole career, I found the smartest people that I wanted to learn from, and I built a relationship with them. I didn't just, you know, contact them and say, I love your work, you know, will you be my mentor? But I found ways to add value to them first so that we were invested in each other. So that was really um, critical advice. The other piece of advice appropriate for this moment in time were whatever it is, six weeks away from the presidential election. My very first job was in politics. I was 21 years old, supporting a uh, U.S. Senate race. And I went down to Washington to get my training. And I learned very quickly that there was no training. Um, and in that piece of advice, it was, there is no they who's going to tell you what to do. You are the they. And so that notion of you are the they has just served me well my whole career. I like that a lot. I like that. There's no excuses. It's, it's sort of a better... Um, spin on that Seth Godin line about what to do when it's your turn. And by the way, it's your turn, right? right you right. you are the they. You are the they. So second question, what's an average day look like for you? 
An average day for me, there is no average. Every day is some kind of blend of uh, designing curriculum, giving presentations and workshops, um, doing more writing to support the work, uh, building new relationships. I spent a lot of time building relationships because that's how I learn. Um, so it's a mix. And it's just about, you know, where does the dial land based on uh, what the day is? Hmm. What are you reading right now? Okay, I am reading something I'm obsessed with. I'm reading the Hamilton Revolution book by Lin-Manuel Miranda. And I was fortunate enough to see the show, and it was mind-blowing, and all of the accolades it's received are well-deserved and then some. But what I love about this book, Through the Lens of Design, is that it unpacks all of the choices that Lin-Manuel Miranda made to create this sensation. I mean, he is literally designing the future by reimagining the past. It's incredible. What do you believe that most people don't? I believe we are all capable of being designers of better futures. I really do. I believe that if we get serious about teaching the skills, the mindsets, and the behaviors that will allow us to make different choices to lead to a different uh, result, that is one of the most powerful things we can do, not just for our leaders, but frankly, for our children. Mm. And that's a great segue into our final question. The title of the show is Radio Free Leader. In, in your view, what makes someone a leader? I think someone is a leader when they are intentional about the choices they make to allow others to bring their best contribution forward. I really believe that leaders need to figure out how to allow others to bring their power and passion on our most challenging issues. Um, I, I think it's it's sometimes it's about having clarity about what the vision is of their organization or the problem that they're trying to solve and and having clarity about about what that is and giving people the space to then help solve it together. And sometimes it's about asking a question, a provocative question that gets people in an imaginative space. I think it's really about how you set the conditions to allow others to do their best work. And uh, I'll give you just even a small story about that. That just happened this morning. So I'm the proud mom of two girls. And I have a 13-year-old daughter who is doing cross-country for the first time. And she had her first meet yesterday. She's a good runner. This is her first time. She's, she's getting better. And she said, Mom, I did great. I was in the middle of the pack. She said, but I'm really proud of myself because every time a runner passed me, even when they weren't on my team, I said to them, you go. Good job. Keep it up. And she said, what was really great is that later in the race, I heard one of the girls who I had said that to say that to another girl. Hmm. And I thought in that moment, right, in that moment, she's making a choice to show up as a leader, to support someone putting their best effort towards a specific situation where they had a goal. Hmm. And so I really think of leadership not as a title, but really as a set of behaviors that help others do their best work. I love that. I love that. So the book, again, Design a Better Business, but it's not actually about designing a better business alone. If you can't tell from this interview, it's about Lisa's whole body of work is about designing a better future, both with this book, previous book, Moments of Impact, work with Singularity University, et cetera. So I encourage you all to check it out. Start with Design a Better Business. It's a beautiful book. So check that out. And in the meantime, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us on Radio Free Leader. Thank you so much. Really been a pleasure to be here. 